0: I'm to kick off this brand new series today from stress to bless. Now we're gonna take six weeks to talk about this because there's a lot of things that stress us out. So hopefully by the end of this series, you'll recognize you're not alone, okay? I really believe that God doesn't want us to go through life stressed. God doesn't want us to go through life are there going to be tough times? Absolutely. Is everything always going to make sense? Of course not. But I do believe God desires for you to have blessing in his life. So we're going to take a look at a number of different areas in our life during the six week series that I think we can move from feeling stressed to actually experiencing His blessings. Let me challenge you up, Todd, to be here every week. If you can't be on our campus, definitely join us online. And then we also challenge you, invite your friends, specifically your unchurched friends, okay? Because let me tell you what I know about their lives. They're also facing stress. So I think there's going to be some things we talk about in this series that they will find to be relevant and pertinent to their life. As well, So if you're here on our campus, go ahead and grab your message notes, get those ready. We're going to get to those here in just a moment. If you're joining us online, you can access those message notes right here at Vaughnforest.com. And I do have some things I want to share with you today that we will get to that I will ask you to jot down. But I did not put these first three principles in your notes. So you might want to jot them down there uh, somewhere. But just kind of three principles of stress, kind of get us all on the same page. Hopefully not to stress you out, but hopefully so that we understand what we mean when we talk about stress. Here's the first one. Stress is reality for everyone. That can be hard to really accept. I mean, I'm not sure how people who live on the beach are ever stressed. Can I get an amen? I just don't know how that's possible. Like, I don't know how people who have one of these incredibly large log cabins with this amazing mountain view. I mean, come on, how do they ever get stressed? I don't know about you, but I like a river. I just like the sound that it makes. I just think it's peaceful. Can you imagine if you lived backing up to this beautiful river in this amazing cabin? You sat on your porch, you drank coffee. You're telling me you're stressed. I'm not buying it. But here's the truth, okay? It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what your view is. It doesn't matter what your season of life is. You're going to face stress. It's the person who says, man, I work all the time, and if I could ever get to retirement, then I won't face stress. Well, stop somebody out in the lobby here after the service that's retired and ask them, do you face stress? They will burst your bubble. I hate to break it to you, okay? I mean, students like, man, if I could ever get out of this thing called school, then I wouldn't be stressed anymore. It only gets worse from here, All right? Aren't you glad you came to church today, all right? That's just the truth. You're, you're a parent of a teenager and you see these parents of toddlers like, oh, I just missed that season. They were so sweet. And all you parents of toddlers are like, y'all want to come on over at 3 a.m.? It's not sweet about that time, right? They don't sleep at night. So you got these little toddlers. You look at those teenagers. They're like, man, they actually bathed themselves in a shower. I don't have, That looks awesome. And parents of teenagers are like, you got no idea. So what are we doing there? We're, we're taking whatever season of life we're not in and we're going, man, if I could just be in that season, I wouldn't face stress. We're taking whatever our living situation is and going, if it could just change, then I wouldn't be stressed. And the truth is, church, stress is a reality for everyone. The only way to have a stress-free life is to be with Jesus for all eternity in heaven, okay? But as long as you're here on this planet, we're going to all face stress. Here's the second big principle for stress. It can force us to change for the worse. Now, this is unfortunate, and this is far too often a reality, Someone gets stressed out, they got too much going on in their lives, and maybe they turn to something like substance abuse or alcoholism or a a relationship they don't need to be in, or they start doing some stuff they don't need to be doing. It pushes them into some behaviors because they didn't manage the stress properly that now they find themselves where the stress is no really really longer the issue. It's kind of what the stress led someone to do. But then there's another part of this. Stress can force us to change for the better. I've seen this multiple times. You've seen this multiple times. People who go through the exact same stressful situations, and for one person, that leads them down a path of destruction, and for another person, it's the motivation to change their lives for better. What's going on there? Not all stress is bad. I mean, sometimes when you recognize, I am in a lot of debt, that's the stress to motivate you to finally live on a budget. I mean, when your spouse finally looks at you and says, I'm done with this marriage, you get motivated now to go to marriage counseling, okay? When you begin to recognize your kids are hanging out with the wrong crowd, you're motivated now to maybe focus a little bit more intentionally on the time you spend with your kids. See, not all stress is bad. Sometimes when stress comes into our lives, it can be a wake-up call. It can be what forces us to change for the good. I can't remember who I first heard this from probably 15, 20 years ago. But I think it's true. I've seen this play out in my life. I've seen this play out in the lives of others. Oftentimes, we don't change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat. Has that ever been true for you? A little bit of heat in your life, a little bit of pressure in your life, a little bit of stress, and that's what causes you to change for the good. So, up top, six week series, week one, I don't want us to only see stress is bad. God can actually use stress in our lives sometimes to motivate us to make some really good choices. But let me give you kind of the big idea. This is your notes. So let me ask you to jot this down. We're going to come back to this a lot in this series. Moving from stressed to blessed has more to do with the internal condition of my heart than the external condition of my circumstances. And I'm asking you to write down four words there, so we're going to leave this up here for a second. And we're going to come back to this a lot in the course of this series. But this statement is what makes it different for a Christ follower. That when you're a follower of Jesus, ultimately what's different about your life is what's different on the inside. It's the internal condition of your heart. Rescued, saved, redeemed by Jesus Christ. And for the Christ follower and for the believer... It's that reality that determines our joy. It's that reality that determines our perspective. It's that reality that can allow us to look at circumstances that we don't like, circumstances that we would not have chosen, circumstances that are not in our favor, and yet not let those circumstances dictate our joy. This is the big idea for this series. And we're going to come back to this over and over in this series. But where I want to camp out today, because if this statement's true, and I believe that it is true, and if it's the internal condition of our heart that ultimately matters, and I believe that's true as well, then we got to start there. We've got to start with what's actually going on inside our heart. So let me give you the title of today's message and where we're going to be in God's Word. The title is, From Stress to Bless." With my eternity. And we're gonna be in John chapter 3. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, you can. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll put all the verses up here for you. But what the Bible teaches is that our eternity, where we will spend all of eternity. The Bible says we're gonna spend all of eternity in one of two places a place called heaven or a place called hell. And what the Bible says is what determines where we spend our eternity has everything to do with what's going on inside our heart with whether or not transformation through salvation has taken place in our heart. And this can be a difficult thing for a lot of us to get our minds wrapped around because our world makes such a big deal about everything that's on the external, everything that everybody else can see. And yet what God's Word says is, no, it's all about what's going on in your heart. And if you want to be able to face all of eternity from a perspective of blessing, you've got to have this settled. If you want to be stressed and fear death, this is something that will be unsettled in your life. And in John chapter 3, we get this incredible story where Jesus clearly lays it out for us, how we can be blessed when it comes to our eternity. And in the passage we're going to read here in just a moment, it's 18 verses. You're going to have to hang with me. I'm going to read all 18 of them at one time, okay? You're going to see John three sixteen. I mean, people who don't even go to church have heard of John 3.16. It's the most famous verse in the Bible. But I think it's important for us to see. John 3.16 wasn't just a random statement Jesus threw out one day. He's just walking around. It's like it dawned upon him. Hey, guys, gather around. John, grab a pen. You're going to have to put this in your gospel. Get this down. And where Jesus just said this. No, no, no. This happened in the context of a conversation. A conversation that Jesus and a Pharisee named Nicodemus had one evening. So we're going to read a story. It's a narrative. It's a story. And you're going to see in the middle of this story, this conversation, Jesus drops this verse that we've kind of now seen become the most popular verse in the entire Bible. All right, so hang with me. I'm going to read the story. After I read the story, we're going to bend, kind of work our way back through it and point out some things. I'm going to read it to you in its entirety. John 3, starting in verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi... We know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to To Spirit, you shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. We testify of what we have seen, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not Believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven except the one who came from heaven. This is Jesus talking about himself, the Son of Man, because Jesus came from heaven. Verse 14 Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So thank you for hanging with me, reading that long passage. So let me give you a revised title for today's message, okay? Here's the revised title. From stressed to blessed with my eternity by knowing that I'm born again. But according to Jesus, the only way that you cannot Feel stressed about your eternity. The only way that you can experience blessing when it comes to knowing where you will experience all of eternity is by simply knowing that you've been born again. Now, let me just kind of stop here for a second. Because in this room on our campus and maybe joining us online, there are some of you who know you're born again. You have that assurance. And praise God for that assurance. Death isn't something that you have to fear. And might I encourage you for the remainder of our time to pray for those maybe who are here in the room with us or joining us online who have not yet made the decision to be born again. And then there's some of you, if I may, you think you're born again, but you're not. And you think, wow, I mean, that's kind of forward. I mean, wow, you're just kind of stepping on some toes today, aren't you, Pastor? Well, not really. Okay, maybe. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Okay. But here's why. Because I love you. See, if you call Vaughn Forest home, let me tell you that's something you've probably picked up on in three years. I've actually been preaching here for four years, but in three years of being your pastor, you've probably picked up on a theme I come back to over and over again. Here's that theme. We're actually called to be different in this world as Christ followers. That the way of the world and the way of culture and the way all of that is heading is the exact opposite of what God's Word teaches us. So that if you want to be light in today's world, you're probably going to be in the minority. That if you walk with Jesus, it's going to feel like you are swimming upstream. If you call Vaughn for his home, you've heard me talk about that principle over and over and over. So let me interject kind of another principle that kind of fits into that line of thinking. There's also a Christian subculture that has a lot of Christianese, a lot of bumper sticker theology, a lot of I went to camp and walked an aisle and signed a card and burned all my bad CDs, that gets a lot of people thinking that they've actually been born again when they haven't. A lot of people that went with grandmama to church and always been around church and, you know, memorized a few verses. And here's my favorite one, just try to live by the good book, pastor. And they think that they've actually been born again. And might I suggest that may not be true for you. So I'm asking you up top in this message today to be open to what God says to you because perhaps you haven't really experienced salvation. Perhaps you haven't been born again. And that can be a very difficult thing to discern in the South. I've lived in all four corners of the country and I'm just telling you for whatever reason that cultural Christianity of I've always been a Christian, it permeates a little bit more in the culture here in the South. So when we talk about being born again, I need you to be open minded. So, what exactly does that mean? I saw the verses, I saw what Jesus meant, I saw what Jesus said, and I kind of looked. Does somebody have a really good definition of being born again? And I found one this week I thought was pretty good. It's not scripture, this isn't from God's Word. It's from Pastor Charles Stanley. He's retired now, but he pastored for decades at First Baptist Atlanta. And I, I like his definition of being born again. It's the act of God by which he imparts eternal life to those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And here's the phrase I like, when they accept Jesus as their savior. So every person has to come to a place in his or her life where he or she asks Jesus Christ to save them. And then God does the work. God imparts eternal life into the life of the person who experiences conviction of the Holy Spirit and receives Jesus Christ by faith as their personal Lord and Savior. So that's what I mean when I talk about being born again. So what I want to do for the rest of our time is I want to give you five takeaways from this message. And my goal, from this passage rather, and my goal is that by the end of the message, everybody that's here, everybody that's joined us online can have full assurance that they've been born again. Full assurance that you can face eternity, not from a place of being stressed, but from a reality of experience, bl- experiencing blessing, all right? So grab your notes. Let me give you the first takeaway I want you to jot down. Being a Christian is not a birthright. First thing we see from this passage. Being a Christian is not a birthright. So Nicodemus is a Pharisee, all right? These are the religious leaders of the day. You don't even get into schooling to be trained to become a Pharisee or a Sadducee unless you're from some type of family that had clout, in Hebrew culture, and Jewish society. But let's look at the first verse. We're gonna work our way back now, through, back, back through this passage. So there's a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who is a member of the Jewish ruling council. So that's Nicodemus, okay? So he came from a good family. And yet that didn't really matter. And I think that's important for us to see, church, that being a Christian is not a birthright. I can't tell you how many times I've heard over the years somebody say, well, I grew up in a Christian home. Nothing wrong with going up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Christian home as well. But you know a true Christian home tells the kids that grow up in the Christian home? Hey, you've got to get to a place in your life where you make this decision for yourself. Growing up in a Christian home doesn't mean anything when it comes to your salvation. Christianity is not something that you inherit. Being born again is not something that's passed down like a family lineage or your ancestry. That, that's just not how it works. For some of you, this is going to be a, a pretty harsh reality for you to reckon with today. But you were not born a Christian. You were born a sinner. You were born with a sin nature. And it doesn't take you very long to start acting upon that sin nature. If you don't believe me, go serve in the preschool next week, and you will come away a believer, right? You get in there with those two-year-olds, you don't have to teach them to take. You have to teach them to share. Why? Because we all have a sin nature. And pretty soon, we actually start to celebrate that sin nature and enjoy that sin nature and actually choose to sin, cooperating with that sin nature. So now we are a sinner not just by nature, but also by choice. It doesn't matter if your parents are missionaries. It doesn't matter if your parents were in ministry. It doesn't matter who your family was. Christianity is not inherited. It is not a birthright. Nicodemus had to recognize, hey, just because of the family I come from, that doesn't make me right with God. If it was true for him. It's true for you as well. Here's the second takeaway from the story. There is an offense to being told you have to be born again. It's offensive. It's offensive for someone to look at you and go, that's great. You've got to be born again. And yet this is exactly what Jesus does to Nicodemus. So let's go back to our passage. This is my favorite part of the passage, okay? So, Jesus, uh, so Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Now, why does he come to Jesus at night? Because he's embarrassed. He's ashamed. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were the guys that Jesus was always fighting with. You're like, Jesus fought with people? Yes, he fought with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Why? Because they were exploiting people. They made up a bunch of laws and then told people who were uneducated and couldn't read the scrolls, only the Pharisees could read the scrolls, they told people, hey, you're violating God's laws. They weren't violating God's laws. They were violating man-made laws. Jesus kept calling them out on this. Jesus called them sons of Satan. (laughs) Jesus did not mince his words. So Nicodemus is kind of intrigued. So he doesn't want, like his boys, the Pharisees, to find this out, so he goes to Jesus by night. He's kind of trying to hide out. And look at what he does. He comes to Jesus with some pretty flattering words. So let's go back to our passage here in verse 2. He comes to Jesus at night and says, Rabbi. First of all, that's a pretty big deal. They were the rabbis. Rabbi's teacher. Just saying, Rabbi, is already telling Jesus, hey, you have some authority. I don't have. Big deal for a Pharisee to call Jesus Rabbi. Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. That's a compliment, guys. I mean, that's literally Nicodemus' way of saying, hey, we recognize you're kind of special. You're probably from God. Now, it seems like at this point, Jesus would go finally. One of the Pharisees, get this, thank you, Nicodemus. Could you tweet that out to your buddies? It seems like Jesus would be like, thank you. Someone finally understands who I am, but Jesus doesn't take the bait. Jesus doesn't fall for the flattery. Look what Jesus says. I love this. Hey, Nicodemus, very truly, I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Jesus, that's great. You're a Pharisee. You're you're telling me some nice things about me. But here's the deal, Nicodemus. You're not going to get to see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Can I tell you what that is? Offensive. Why is that offensive? Because there is an offense to being told you have to be born again. That Nicodemus shows up with his clout. Nicodemus shows up with his accolades. Nicodemus shows up with his education. Nicodemus shows up with flattering words. And here's what Jesus says. You've got to be born again. And church, can I tell you the same is true for you as well. That there is an offense when you get to a place of recognizing none of the good things that you do matter when it comes to your salvation. Now, I happen to be a big fan of people doing good things. I mean, I like it when people serve in the community. I like it when people love their neighbors. I like it when people put others' needs in front of their others. But none of that matters when it comes to whether or not you are born again. And this is offensive. When someone looks at you and says, I know you think you're a good person, but that doesn't really count. That if you wanna experience eternity with God forever through Jesus Christ, you have to get to a place where you recognize you're actually not good at all. That is offensive gospel message is always offensive. When someone says none of that matters, you have to be born again. So what do you do? When you get to that place of offense, and listen to me, this is part of the process of coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. This is part of the process of being born again. That there's a moment where you go, wait a second, what? That doesn't matter. There's an offense that begins to well up inside of us. It, it messes with our pride. It says you're not good enough. When that happens, you've got one of three choices. I didn't put these in your notes, but here they are. The first thing you can do is fight it. You say, no, I'm right and you're wrong. You can direct that towards me. That's fine. Say, hey man, I'm right. You don't, if you don't know about me, who are you to tell me I'm not a good person? I'm right and you're wrong. You, you can say that to me all day long. That is not gonna bother me one bit. I'll sleep like a baby tonight. Let me tell you why. I'm just the messenger. You're not telling me I'm wrong. Ultimately, what you're telling Jesus is he's wrong. And that's your choice, okay? You can fight it. You can say, I'm right. Hey, Jesus, you're wrong. The second choice is to dismiss it. I'm right. You're narrow-minded. Now, this one is a lot softer. It's a little nicer. It feels better. You're not saying that somebody's wrong. You're just saying you're better educated you're more cultured, okay? You look at somebody like me and you go, hey, dude, maybe you haven't read enough books. Maybe you don't know about other world religions. Maybe you don't have the degrees I have. You're a little too narrow-minded to think that Jesus is actually the only person that can tell people that they have to be born again in order to spend eternity with God. You actually think that's the only way people spend eternity with God? If I haven't been clear yet today, let me just be very clear. Yes, that's what I believe. Not because I came up with it, but because it's what God's Word teaches. And you may think, well, that's cool, man. But you're wrong because you're narrow-minded. The third option you have is you actually admit it. Hey, Jesus is actually right. I'm not that good. And for a lot of you, that means kind of dying to some pride. That you got a lot of people convinced with the external things about your life. Man, you look good on the outside, but inside you are rotting. Inside, you know what's going on inside your heart. And when you get to that place where God's word begins to poke at that and conviction from the Holy Spirit begins to come into your life, here's the choice I would encourage you to make. Just admit it. Quit fighting it. Hey, Jesus is right. You have to be born again because you're not good on your own. There is an offense to that. But if you will admit it, you begin to see what Jesus can do for you. Here's the third takeaway from this story. Nothing about birth is ambiguous. I love that Jesus uses this language, and I love that Jesus talks about physical birth as a way for us to understand being born again, as a way for us to understand spiritual birth. let's go back to the conversation between he and Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water, physical birth, and the Spirit, New birth, born again. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. I love what Jesus does here. Hey, yeah, flesh gives birth to flesh. Everybody has a physical birth. You are born one time, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. When we talk about being born again, we're not talking about a physical birth. We're talking about a spiritual birth. We're talking about being born again. And I love that this is how Jesus describes salvation. Why? Because nothing about birth is ambiguous nothing. My wife, Morgan, and I, we have three boys, okay? I was there all three times when they were born. Can I tell you the last word to describe that experience? Ambiguous, okay? It was super clear what happened. I counted how many people were in the room. And then a few minutes later, I counted again. And can I tell you, it went up by one. We added one more person in that room. And my wife did all the work. Ladies, God bless you. I don't know how you do it, okay? When God in his sovereignty chose women to have children and bring them into the world, he knew what he was doing because men ain't no way, all right? They were just too weak, okay? But I was there all three times. There was no question what had happened. A child had been born. And then let me tell you something remarkable happened. Somebody actually wrote down the time. They wrote down the time. Do you remember what time your kids were born? If you don't, that's okay. God still loves you. Okay. But they wrote down the time, right? They wrote down the date. And then we do something in our house. I don't know if you do this in your house, but we do this in our house every year on that date. We actually celebrate. We have a birthday. Why? It's not ambiguous. Nobody would ever see one of my three kids ago. I'm just not sure they were born. Just not so sure about that, Pastor. No, there's nothing ambiguous about it. And Jesus uses this as an example for being born again. So if I ask you to tell me, how'd you meet Jesus? How'd you experience salvation? When did you get saved? When were you born again? Well, you know, I Jesus just always been a part of my life. I just I've just walked with the Lord for as long as I can remember, Pastor. You know, it's just kind of one of those things. You know, he's just kind of always been. You may me tell you what that is? That's ambiguous language. Can I tell you what's not ambiguous? Experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you're a sinner. The emotion that goes with that. Choosing then to submit yourself to that finally instead of continuing to fight it. Maybe not physically falling on your knees, but certainly in a posture of humility, admitting that you're a Savior, and asking Jesus to come into your life and save you. Can I tell you that that is an experience that has no ambiguity to it? And if you can't tell me when that happened for you, might I suggest you've never been born again? If someone asks you to describe to them your experience of coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and it's a, I've just kind of always I'm just telling you this morning, you may not be born again. Now, as we move in our faith, do we grow in our understanding of what it means to have a relationship with God? Of course we do. That's called discipleship. That's called spiritual maturity. That's part of the process. But can you give me a date? I can't give you a date. Cool. I get it. Can you give me a month? Well, I'm not so sure about this. I'll let that one slide too. Can you at least give me the year? Well, if you can't give me the year, might I suggest you've bought into a cultural Christianity that has led you to the conclusion that being born again can actually be ambiguous. And here's what Jesus would say. There's nothing about physical birth that's ambiguous, and there's nothing about spiritual birth that's ambiguous. Here's the fourth takeaway we see from the story. You don't have to know more to be born again. I love this. I love this. I love that John 3.16 has become the most popular verse. I love that John 3.16 happens in the context of this conversation because it simplifies things. That when it comes to receiving Jesus Christ and being born again, you don't have to know more than what's actually in this story. So let's go to the verse, John 3.16, and I also added on 17 because I like it too. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And maybe that's your view of God. God's a God of condemnation. God's a God who's out to get you. No, God loves you. God sent his son to die for you. And anyone can receive Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in him. The old King James. Whosoever believes in him. You don't have to know more. You don't have to know more about the Bible. You don't have to know more theology. You don't have to understand greater complexity when it comes to things of God. Here's all you have to know. Do you know you're a sinner? Are you experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Will you submit yourself to that? Will you receive Jesus Christ into your life as your Savior? That's all you have to know. There are people who have been born again for decades that still don't understand a lot of things about God. If you place a prerequisite of having to know more or understand more before you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're missing the point. A child can come to faith in Jesus Christ. A child can be born again. In fact, Jesus said that it takes a childlike faith. You don't have to know more Everything that's in this story is all you have to know. Are you being convicted by the Holy Spirit? Then cooperate with that. Be obedient to that. Submit yourself to that. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Here's the other thing. You don't have to clean your life up. Someone says, Pastor, I know I need to get right with the Lord, but there's all these things in my life that I've just got to get rid of. Listen, if you could clean your life up, God wouldn't have sent Jesus. If you could do anything about your situation, God wouldn't have sent Jesus. There's no amount of cleaning up and no amount of good that you can do. But when you bring Jesus in your life, let me tell you some good news. He cleans the whole house. He cleans you up from the inside out. That's work that Jesus does. So don't think there's some stuff I've got to take care of before I come to the Lord. No, it's always the right time to obey. It's always the right time to be born again when you feel the Holy Spirit beginning to convict you. And finally, number five, the fifth thing we see from our story today. Condemnation does not result from sin, Condemnation results from not believing. This is a big misunderstanding that a lot of people think that what will send them to hell is their sin. And again, just to be clear, when you die, you're going to spend eternity in one of two places heaven or hell. And sometimes people think that hell is what, uh, that sin is what sends people to hell. But this is not what Jesus says in verse 18. Jesus says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Church, please don't miss this. It is not your sin that will send you to hell for all of eternity. It's your unbelief. That when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for sin once and for all, all time, all sin, all past sin, all present sin, all Future sin. The price for your sin has been paid. So where does condemnation come from? Condemnation does not come from sin. It results from not believing. So what does that look like? Here's what that looks like. You begin to experience conviction from the Holy Spirit. You're a sinner. You're not good. You're offended because someone's telling you you've got to be born again. You see that Jesus made a way for you. He, he went to the cross in your place. He paid the price for sin. He then defeated death through the resurrection. He walked out of the tomb on the third day. Over 500 people saw him alive in the 40 days that he walked this earth before he ascended to heaven. And that matters because the only person who can offer you eternal life is the person who defeated death. And he did that. And you look at all of that and you listen to all this and here's the choice that you'd make. Not for me. Not for me. I'm not gonna believe. And if you make that choice, it's that unbelief that will send you to hell for all of eternity. But you see, Jesus made a way for you. And see, when you accept him as your way, a lot of great things begin to happen. First of all, you receive a new identity. God no longer looks at you in light of your sin. He sees you through the perfection of his son, Jesus Christ. You receive a new family. Brothers and sisters in Christ that come alongside you and walk with you. You receive a new assurance that you don't have to fear death. You have blessing for all eternity. You have a new confidence because the Bible says you get sealed with the Holy Spirit. And you have a new purpose. So you don't have to wait to be with Jesus in heaven for all eternity to begin experiencing that new life with him. You get to experience it right now. And he can take your life that up until this point may have just been one misstep after the next. And he can make all things new. And he can give you a new purpose for your life. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Some of you here in this room, you know you're born again. You don't fear death. and In some ways, You've already seen that eternity is going to be a blessing. Hey, if that's you, could you maybe just kind of in this moment pray for the people in the room who perhaps have not yet made that decision? So if you're joining us online or if you're here on our campus and you realize today, I've never been born again. I've never experienced salvation. Can I ask you to pray and do that today? it's not so much the words that you say. This is not like a mantra or a magical formula. It's giving words to what the Holy Spirit is already doing in your heart. It's giving words in a way where you can cooperate through obedience with where the Lord is leading you today. But if that's you, just, just right where you're seated, maybe at home, here on our campus, would you just pray, Jesus, you're right. I am not good. I admit I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you defeated death through the resurrection. And I want to ask you to come into my life and save me. I want to be born again. And you're the only one that can do it. And Jesus, I don't want you just to be my savior, I want you to be my Lord. That from this day forward, I submit my will, my desires, my dreams, my life to you. So Matt's up here playing and I'm up here and everybody else's head's bowed and their eyes are closed and this is a a holy moment. But if you just prayed that prayer, I'm not gonna ask you to come down front, but I would love to pray specifically for you this week. Would you be so bold maybe just to kind of slip your hand up and say, hey, man, I just prayed that. I'd never been born again, and that just happened for me. So I can pray for you this week. Thank you. So, Jesus, we come to you now as your people, and we just say thank you. Thank you for making it possible for us to be reconciled to your Father by going to the cross and by defeating death through the resurrection. Thank you that we can be born again. Thank you that we don't have to fear death. Thank you that we can face our eternity from a perspective of blessing, that it's not something we have to fear. It's not something we have to be stressed about. And God, my prayer for your people is that as we go into this world, that you align our hearts with yours, which is a heart for the lost whether it's our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, the people we encounter who desperately need to be born again, that you would allow us to recognize that you wanna use us and that we would submit ourselves to that, God, that we would see a great number of people in our community come to faith in Jesus Christ, that they too would be born again. And God, we ask that you would use us in their lives. Jesus, thank you for being so clear with Nicodemus so that we too can see how to be born again and repair all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you're here on our campus, would you stand up together as we respond?